0: Well, today we're going to begin a series on Romans and we're going to start in Romans chapter 1. We're going to read the first 15 verses of Romans 1. We will be coming back to 1 Peter. The final chapter deals with uh, issues in the church, particularly officers. And when we come to the time when we install and ordain officers, we will pick back up chapter 5. And so I haven't abandoned First Peter altogether, but I'm holding it off for uh, a, a few weeks here until we get the, the men ready to be uh, installed as officers. But here now, God's wholly inspired and inerrant word from Romans. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who are loved by God and called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word to us today. This week I saw an advertisement for a consulting firm, uh, a marketing consulting firm, who are interested in helping businesses flourish. Uh, Of course, they're charging a steep price for their information, and I I don't know much more about it than what you get on the web page their lure to get businesses interested in what they're offering in these services that they provide is this. Clarify your message so people will engage with you and your company. Their idea is that buyers will not engage with you or your product if they don't understand your message. What are you selling and what is your company all about and and how are you trying to make the world a better place through this company? How will it improve my life? Those sorts of questions that you ask. And uh, the, the marketing firm uh, believes that if you're unclear about these things, then people will not be interested in your product. And so the best thing you can do is to clearly communicate your message to the potential buyers. Well, I was thinking about this in reference to the church, uh, and just to qualify what I'm about to say, there is a danger when people apply business practices to the church, uh, especially marketing practices. We don't or we shouldn't market Christianity like you would widgets or any other product. But this particular marketing firm is headed by a Christian uh, a well-known Christian author, and what he is doing, I believe, is actually looking at the church first and how it spread through the world and how it continues to grow to grow even to this day, and he's taking those principles and applying it to businesses. Often people take the practices of the business world and try to apply it to the church. I believe this guy's doing it in reverse. He's taking the practices of the church throughout the centuries and he's trying to apply it to business. And this helped me think about the church, its growth, its message, because we have a message. And really that's what we're all about. We are communicating to the world something that has happened. And we're telling them what can happen and what will happen. What the Bible tells us. The church has a message. The church grows when that message is proclaimed and believed. The more people who believe the message of the church, uh, the more people come into the church. The church grows. So there's a there's a there's a great old hymn that you're probably familiar with called "We've a Story to Tell to the Nations." We have a story to tell to the nations, to the whole world. That's Christianity has a story to tell. It's not a legend, it's not a myth, it's not a fairy tale, but his story. It's historical, it's something that's happened, it's, it's news. We have a story, or we have a history to tell to the nations. The word gospel that Paul uses throughout this letter, he, as he, I mean, Romans is probably the most intricate and detailed uh, exposition of the gospel in all of Scripture. Paul's breaking it down for his readers. And we have this gospel, this good news to share to the world. And we need to remember that the gospel is good news. It's news. Because often people think, you know, the church is all about instruction. You know, we're all about the do's and the don'ts. Church people are all people who do certain things and they don't do other certain things and that's what defines a Christian. Well, no, that's, That's not true. The the gospel is news, and believers are those who believe the news, who believe what happened and respond appropriately to that news. Yes, there are commands to follow and uh, there are uh, behaviors to avoid and to uh, refrain from, but they flow out of the question if the gospel is true and I believe it, how should I live? How should I respond? How should I think about the world? How should I react to this situation? How should I feel about whatever it is that I'm encountering in my life? The gospel influences everything, and and our behavior is dictated by the gospel, or should be. Well, as I said before, the book of Romans is all about the gospel, and in the coming weeks and months as we... Move through the book of Romans. We are going to study this book with the hope that the gospel is clarified to us. We need to understand this message and we need to communicate this message. And the better we are at doing that, the more we will grow in our relationship with Christ and the more the church will grow as people hear the message, the good news of the gospel, because it is indeed the greatest news, it's the greatest message the one the world needs to hear. I want to just, two things that I want to point out today. The first is this, the gospel is continuously necessary. The gospel is continuously necessary. second point is that the gospel concerns Jesus. The gospel concerns Jesus. Well, the first point I want to make is that everyone needs the gospel continuously. Everyone needs the gospel continuously. Most of you would agree that everyone needs the gospel. Everyone needs to hear about Jesus and and what he's done and and what he's promised to do. Uh, You believe that the good news about Jesus is is a message that everyone needs to hear and embrace. I believe that too. But what I'm saying is that you, me, and everyone else in the world needs the gospel every day. So, people often think that the gospel, the good news about Jesus, is kind of the beginning point of Christianity. And one moves on from there. Well, the gospel is certainly the beginning point. You have to believe in Jesus and and what he's done. But it's, it's not something that you leave behind. The message of the gospel must be worked deeper and deeper into our lives, and as it is worked deeper into our lives, we live more and more in line with the truth of the gospel. You you never outgrow the gospel. I've heard more than one person say it like this. The gospel is not the ABCs of Christianity, but it is the A to Z of Christianity. You might remember, if you've ever read Galatians, hopefully you have, Uh, In Galatians, Paul relates an episode that he had with Peter where he actually rebuked Peter. Uh, Peter, of course, was the the first person to ever preach the gospel after Pentecost, after Jesus ascended to heaven and the Holy Spirit came down. And Peter was the first preacher of the gospel. He saw the church grow there in Jerusalem. Thousands of people come to know the Lord. And then later on in the book of Acts, we see that Peter is the first person to actually take the gospel to Gentiles. He receives a vision uh, that, uh, that the Gentiles are to be uh, included in the gospel. But Paul refers to an event where Peter was hanging out with the Gentiles, you know, counting them as brothers in Christ. But then a, a group of Jews show up uh, who have a very dim view of Gentiles, and Peter withdraws from the Gentiles and just hangs out with the Jews. And Paul calls him on that. And Paul says something very interesting there in Galatians. He says that Peter was not living in line with the truth of the gospel. Now, Peter hadn't forgotten the gospel. He was the first person to ever preach the gospel after Pentecost. And he knew that it was wrong to shunned Gentiles because he was the first person to be told by God to go preach to Gentiles. But he wasn't living in line with the truth of, of what he knew. And the same is true of us. We often, well, we could all recite the gospel. We know the good news about what Jesus did. But how does it affect your life? That's the question. And even Peter, which kind of makes me feel good, that even Peter failed at this point. He was a sinner just like we are. Paul and Peter needed to be reminded of the gospel and how it applied to the situation. And we need to learn how to take the gospel and apply it to all the situations of life. And that takes forever (laughs) for all of our, our life here on earth. How does the gospel apply to our work, to our homes, to our conversations, to the way we drive our car, to everything. It touches upon everything. Look at the text before us because Paul demonstrates what I'm talking about here. In verse 8 he says about the Roman church to whom he's writing, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Now that's a great commendation for your faith to be proclaimed in all the world. I mean, you're world famous for your faith, you have embraced Christ, you, you are Christians and people all over the world are talking about your faith. But look at what he says in verse 15. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Even though these people had a world-renowned faith, Paul wanted to preach the gospel to them again and again. He explains in verse 11, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. And in order to encourage them and to impart to them some spiritual gift, he wants to preach the gospel. Now certainly he wants to see people converted who were not Christians but he also wants to build up the church by preaching the gospel, by showing how what Jesus did in his life and death and resurrection applies to every situation in life. So we must hear the gospel continuously. We never outgrow it. In every situation we find ourselves in life, we should ask, how does the gospel make a difference in my behavior here? How should the gospel influence my thoughts and attitudes in whatever situation I find myself. You never outgrow the gospel. And we are going to spend the next several weeks and months clarifying and coming to a deeper understanding of what the gospel is. And in so doing, we will grow in our ability to take that gospel and apply it to all the situations in life and to be able to articulate it to the world. To their situation in life second point the gospel concerns Jesus we're going to just start with what Paul begins to tell us about the gospel he's going to tell us about the gospel for uh, for 16 chapters but we're going to start here with what he begins saying to us he doesn't give us all the details but he gives us a beginning overview in the first few verses he says that uh, that he was uh, called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God that's his purpose he was been sent on a particular mission to go and tell people this good news about Jesus and he describes that good news that gospel in verse 2 the gospel of God which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures so he's affirming that it's not something new uh, it's something that was promised long ago in the old testament concerning his son. It's about Jesus. It's about the Son of God who was descended from David according to the flesh. And, of course, that fulfills prophecy as well. Jesus came of the the tribe of Judah, the lineage of David. And, verse 4, was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now we have here a broad overview of the gospel, kind of a just a a flyover. It's all about Jesus Christ our Lord. And he tells us a few things about Jesus Christ and the good news about him. We probably put it in two categories. On one hand he talks about Jesus's divinity and his humanity And he also talks about Jesus' humiliation and his exaltation, especially his exaltation. First, his divinity and his humanity. Well, we begin by hearing that it is God's Son in verse 3. He's divine. He's always been divine. Uh, He was declared, verse 4, to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Now, that word declared is better translated appointed. But translators don't like to put it there, uh, translate it that way, because it sounds like what Paul is saying is that Jesus wasn't the Son of God before, and now he's being appointed the Son of God. That's not what Paul's saying at all. What Paul is saying is that the Son of God, Jesus, is divine. And he came to earth according to the flesh as a descendant of David. So he was divine and human. But also he came to earth as a human in a state of humiliation. Yes, he was of the tribe of Judah. Yes, he was of the lineage of David. But of course, we know he was very poor. We we just went through Christmas and we rehearsed how he was born in a food trough and uh, lived in Nazareth, which was on the wrong side of the tracks. You know, when one of the disciples hears that Jesus is from Nazareth, he says, can anything good come from Nazareth? The town next to mine, is. that's what we said about those people down on the other side of the tracks. You know, can anything good come from over there? I think they said the same thing about us. But you know what we're talking about here. Jesus was born poor. He says, you know, foxes have holes. Son of man doesn't have a home. He doesn't have a place to lay his head. He suffered throughout his life. Herod tried to kill him when he was a child. He had to flee to Egypt. And then he comes back when he starts his public ministry. Great crowds follow him initially, but pretty soon those crowds dissipate. He's left with just the disciples until ultimately he's persecuted to the point of death on a cross by the religious leaders of the day. His whole life was filled with suffering. He was the Son of God, fully divine, fully human. But as Philippians 2 tells us, he came humble as a servant. But he is exalted. That's what verse 4 is talking about. He is appointed to be the Son of God in power. See, he was the Son of God in humiliation when he came to earth. He lowered himself. He did not uh, think of equality with God, something that needed to be held on to, but he emptied himself of all the rights of being God. He didn't cease to be God. He emptied himself of the rights that he had as God and became a humble servant. But when he rose from the dead, he was appointed the son of God in power. See, he was the son of God still before, but now he's the son of God in power. He has risen from the grave. He has conquered sin. He has conquered death. All the enemies are under his feet, and now he is risen to the great place where he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And in due course, after his resurrection, he ascended to the right hand of the Father. He is exalted above all creation. That's what Paul's talking about here. God himself entered history humbly, a human divine, but human. And he laid down his life, and all that he did in his life and in his death was approved by the Father so that the Holy Spirit could raise him up from the dead and he could ascend to the place of highest honor. That God has entered into our lives, entered into our neighborhood, if you will. He's come to earth come seeking for us, to come help us to know, uh, have a relationship with God, to know God. Look at verse 5. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship. Now, yes. How, did, how does God come to us? Well, he should come to us in judgment, but he, doesn't, he didn't do that, and he doesn't do that now he's come to us through christ as john 1 tells us full of grace and truth full of favor full of a desire to bless us to have her to restore the relationship that was lost in the garden of eden that's good news and if jesus christ wasn't raised from the dead then it's all futile because he hasn't conquered sin or death or any any of the enemies that we need to have conquered for us, that we can't conquer ourselves. That's the good news that we proclaim. Now, as we think about that, that should make a difference in our lives. If that's true, if God himself became a man, died for us, and then rose from the grave, and is alive today, and will save us from sins and from death, that should make a difference in your life. That was the the burning passion of Paul's life. He says, yes, I have been appointed, called to be an apostle. Uh, An apostle is someone who is sent, uh, someone who's sent for a particular purpose. Now, we're not apostles in the sense that Paul and the other disciples are apostles. But we are sent just the same. As the Father sent me, so send I you, Jesus told the disciples. The Great Commission. As you go, make disciples of all nations. Wherever you go, make disciples of all nations. Tell people about what I've done. Tell people this good news about Jesus. Isn't it nice that God wants you to know the gospel? He's put you in a time and a place. He's put people in your life to share it with you. And if you've never heard it before, I'm here, I'm telling you about it. And you can come back week after week and hear more about it. Think about the people in your past. Maybe it was your parents that pointed you first to, the, to, to Jesus, to the gospel, to the good news about Jesus. Think about youth leaders or preachers, uh, uh, ladies in the church, whoever it might be, uh, elders and deacons and folks who've come along in your path that God has put in your path to point you to the gospel. May we all be those kinds of people. As we encounter others, point people to the gospel. We read in 1 Peter that we should always be ready to share about the hope that we have in us. Do we understand the hope? That's the question. Do we understand the gospel? Do we understand what we've got? Or do we even have it? God wants you to know the gospel Have you responded appropriately to it? Of course, the appropriate response is belief. Do you believe what Jesus has done? And has it affected your life? He says there, uh, We have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. Now, he means there that God commands everyone to believe. It's not just a good idea it's not a suggestion it's a command god is commanding you to believe in jesus to believe what jesus has done and he calls us to go and tell people to do the same to obey the command to believe in jesus that's the message that's the message that we're going to be exploring about jesus in the coming weeks and months and may the lord help us to Clarify that message in our hearts and in our mouths as we seek to, to point people to the greatest message uh, the world needs. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would help us to grasp the gospel in our hearts, to believe that it is true, and to see in a deeper way how it applies to all of life, and the decisions that we make, in the way that we act, the things that we think, even the attitudes of our hearts. Lord, shape us and mold us into the image of Christ as we come to know Him in a deeper way. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.